Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to episode 10 of the Cannon Boomers podcast. We've been covering a lot of things so far. We have talked with a couple of uh, medical doctors about the use of CBD. We've talked to the founder of the Veterans Cannabis Coalition about how CBD and cannabis can help veterans with their various health issues. We've talked to a couple of producers of CBD products to find out how they do what they do. So there's many topics to cover, obviously. So let us know. You can email me at tom at cannaboomers.com if there is a specific aspect you want us to cover and we can go and find an expert and and uh, get them on and share their knowledge. So today we have a neuroscientist, Dr. Michelle Ross, and we have a great conversation about the endocannabinoid system and how it was discovered and the implications for that system, the biggest neurotransmitter superhighway in our bodies and uh, why it's so critical to have cannabinoids that supplement what we make endogenously, phytocannabinoids that can help us maintain homeostasis. So it's a good episode. We talk about dosing and strains and uh, many other aspects. So I hope you enjoy it and spread the word about the Cannaboomers podcast. Tell your friends about it. Share this episode and um, we'll see you again next week. Thank you. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Welcome to the 10th episode of Cannaboomers podcast. We are just getting started scratching the surface of what there is to know about cannabis, this plant that humans have been interacting with for tens of thousands of years, and yet it's been prohibited for most of our lifetimes, and it still is in many states. That is changing day by day, so our job is to find the people who are leading us out of the wilderness and who can tell us the secrets of this plant, how it interacts with our bodies and brains to create the effects that it does, especially for baby boomers who, let's face it, need help protecting our bodies from things like inflammation, cancer, nerve disorders, and other diseases. And that leads us to today's guest, Michelle Ross, the co-founder and CEO of Infused Health. She has a doctorate in neuroscience from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Dr. Ross is also a professor at the Cannabis Holistic Academy and Greenflower Media and author of Vitamin Weed, a four-step plan to prevent and reverse endocannabinoid deficiency. Dr. Ross, welcome to the Cannaboomers podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to share a lot of my knowledge that I've built up for for goodness, almost the, the past decade. And, and where are you today? I am in uh, beautiful Los Angeles, California. I actually just moved two months ago back home to Los Angeles from Denver since California legalized recreational marijuana. So it's safe for me to come back home. Well, and you were up in Colorado when they were kind of blazing the trail. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how different states are, you know, uh, uh, you know, how the industry shifts and how, you know, patient access changes and everything. But uh, it's just beautiful to see more freedom in this country. Yeah. And as we noted, I mean, it, there's another fall uh, round of elections coming in a bunch more states who may join the, I think, about 30 states now where it's either legal medicinally and or recreationally. So it's definitely a wave of change happening. Yeah. And I want to say, you know, just because you have an amazing um, listener demographic, um, that recreational marijuana does doesn't just mean getting high. What it actually means is you don't need a medical marijuana card to access a dispensary. And so it's really important. So like, for example, if you're using cannabis for Alzheimer's, but uh, your state didn't recognize Alzheimer's as a qualifying condition for marijuana, you wouldn't be able to get a medical card. But if your state has legalized rec recreational marijuana, no matter what 
you're using cannabis for, even if it's for a medical purpose, you can just go to the dispensary and buy it without a card. So it's really important. So, you know, all, all use has some medical component. So if you're in a state where they have a recreational marijuana bill on the ballot, vote for it. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, a lot of us are interested in the medicinal benefits of the plant, but don't really want to get high the way we might have, you know, in college or high school or whatever. But, um, you know, there are benefits that can be had by just taking small doses, right? Oh my goodness, this plant is amazing. Um, you know, not only the the numerous chemicals and cannabinoids in it, but the, the all the different ways you can take it. And so, you know, it's just funny because there's a, half the people that use cannabis or sort of that that um, that group. I don't really want to get high. A lot of them either only use CBD products. They're scared of THC, but. Um, you know, for that group, there's also that idea of microdosing uh, THC, which is the active component uh, in in cannabis or marijuana. And THC, just like any drug, um, you know, for example, like just like to make it easy for people, if you take alcohol, right, like one drink makes you feel a certain way, two drinks makes you feel a certain way, three drinks for most people, you're going to be pretty tipsy or drunk, right? And so there's always an amount um, or a threshold with any drug or, you know, whether it's recreational prescription where you feel effects or you don't feel effects. And with cannabis, it's the same way. So if you're taking like, say, 1.5 or 2.5 or even 5 milligrams of THC during the day um, at, at one sitting, you might not feel high. What you might feel is relaxed, you know, like similar to taking a small dose of Xanax, right? Or you might have a reduction in pain. Um, but you're not necessarily going to be sitting on your couch, you know, um, having the munchies out of it and like watching cartoons, like that's not going to happen. So it's all about dosage. So I want people to know that if you're scared of getting high, there's always a way to use cannabis um, in a way that fits with your lifestyle and your needs and, you know, respects your philosophy on life. Like some people don't want to get high because they're sober, you know, and that's okay. Right. You don't really have to have a mind-altering experience. Um, you can take a little and relieve pain or, or whatever you're trying to do. Your story, I think, is one of initial skepticism, right? You weren't you weren't really sold on the benefits of cannabis, but uh, eventually you came around. Can you tell us about that journey? Yeah, you know, um, I'm pretty much the last person on earth, I think, would have been known as uh, basically the, the device scientist, um, you know, uh, telling everyone about the benefits of cannabis and mushrooms and, and other psychedelic drugs. Um, I actually grew up in Prairie Crack House in New Jersey, and I saw a lot of my friends and neighbors um, actually really suffer from the effects of drugs and also the war on drugs. I mean, I saw people go to jail. I saw people get shot. I saw people get raped. Um, I saw a house get set on fire. Like, it was really bad. I grew up in the hood uh, in New Jersey. And um, I literally, from a, you know, like from five years old, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to cure all the drug addiction everywhere. Like, weird five year old goals. Like, normally people want to play with, like, I don't know, like Barbies. I wanted to go cure the world of drug addiction. Um, <laughs> I was a little bit old for my age, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, speed up un until later in life. And, you know, I had done a little drinking in college. I wouldn't smoke any weed or anything like that. I was like, no drugs. Um, and I ended up um, going to graduate school, working on my PhD in a molecular psychiatry department. And uh, my very first paper assignment was actually on could 
uh, what do cannabinoids do to new brain cell growth? And for um, those of you who don't know, there's a process called neurogenesis. And this hap- neurogenesis is the birth of new brain cells. So like when you're a baby or your fetus, your brain's like rapidly developing and it's forming all those awesome brain areas like, you know, like your hippocampus, which is a learning memory center, or, you know, you, you know, the center that processes emotions or gets you to eat or move or whatever. But when you're an adult, you actually still make new brain cells. And these brain cells are important for mood. They're important um, for uh, learning and memory. Um, there's actually, my work actually suggested that they are important um, for drug addiction vulnerability too. Um, and so my very first paper was like, okay, so basically does marijuana kill brain cells? <laughs> and you know, I'm in a drug addiction department, so I'm assuming the answer is yes. Um, and it turns out that certain cannabinoids actually do grow brain cells. And, um, you know, and that sort of started to change things for me. It's like, you start hearing these like little rumors, like Santa Claus might not be real guys. Like what you've been taught in school might not actually be the truth. I'm like, what else about this cannabis stuff? And I started unraveling, um, so the knowledge about this, and it was just sort of shocking because I wasn't really taught about the endocannabinoid system in school. Like most doctors or even scientists here, I am, I'm a drug scientist. Like my job is to study how drugs affect the brain and the neurotransmitter system. That's the largest neurotransmitter system in your brain is actually the endocannabinoid system. So this whole thing is very weird. I'm like, why aren't we touching on probably the most important thing on the brain? Okay. So I just like, I got in full on detective mode, you know? That's a fairly recent discovery, right? I think it was in the 90s. And I've been looking for the correct metaphor for the endocannabinoid system. And as you say, it's it's the biggest neurotransmitter system we have. Every animal has it, right? Can it be akin to like the internet of your body? Or how do we talk about it? Goodness. Um, you know, and I do want to correct you on that uh, because it's funny. People would think that the endocannabinoid system was discovered in the 90s because we're not really even talking about the medical benefits of cannabis till now. Um, but it was actually, and I'm so bad with, with dates, uh, but I believe it was, it was either the 50s or the 60s where Dr. Raphael Meshulam, who's considered the godfather of cannabis, um, he was a scientist in Israel that actually um, isolated, identified THC, CBD, and his lab also um, identified the cannabinoid receptors. So it happened years ago, but just, you know, because it was made illegal in the 60s, um, all drugs were made illegal in the 60s, basically, um, under um, the the drug schedule um, and the UN treaties that we just didn't do any more research on it in the United States. And we didn't really know about it. Um, but uh, yeah, the endocannabinoid system, it's sort of funny. It really, it because it regulates everything else, it is sort of like your iOS. So, it is, you know, like when we're talking about, you know, your operating system, it's your Windows or it's your, you know, your Apple Sierra or whatever. Because when it's off, I mean, everything else is a little funky and you really need to have proper levels of your endocannabinoids um, to function. And when we think about it, it's like it's actually a nutritional deficiency. Um, so there's a lot of vitamins we take, right? Like we have no problem like popping vitamin D bill, uh, vitamin D pills, or calcium, or you know, oh goodness knows what else is in you know your kitchen or your medicine cabinet, right? But we never talk about taking um, a vitamin that supports your endocannabinoid system, and that's because most people don't even know that they have one or what it's important for. But when you have a vitamin D deficiency. Your body does not feel good because vitamin D is important for like 150 different processes in your body. Um, And you won't know that you have low vitamin D levels until you go to the doctor and you're like, man, I'm depressed or man, I can't lose that, that 
10 pounds. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like I just run down and they're like, okay, but when we ran some tests, turns out you don't have any vitamin D and you need to take this prescription for vitamin D. Um, or you can buy it over the counter, but you just have to take a lot of pills. The same way you could be feeling run down, achy, moody, like, you know, like there's a thousand symptoms of endocannabinoid deficiency, because again, that system regulates everything. Instead of being told, hey, you're depressed, take some Prozac, or you have pain, take Oxycontin, you know? What if we started with, hey, let's figure out if your endocannabinoid system is out of balance, and let's get you on some CBD or low-dose THC and see how you feel. Okay, you're responding to that. Great, we don't need to put you on Prozac or Oxycontin or whatever it is that they're thinking about prescribing you. Um, But because doctors really don't have a way um, because it's not in our medical system, you know, oh, they don't have a way to prescribe you, you know, uh, a joint at the dispensary, they don't do it. So we're still in this like really weird time where it's legal, but not completely legal in our country and doctors aren't really trained on it. And uh, it's it's an interesting time for, for experts like me. So I do health coaching, which is I don't actually provide medical marijuana recommendations. So for me, it's like, you know, I think about this as teaching people how to heal themselves with cannabis. Well, and there's a lot to unpack there, too. I mean, when you first you, you have to understand that there is this endocannabinoid system. We we endogenously create our own cannabinoids and, and we can be deficient. But there's this plant that you can supplement your system with. But then, as you said earlier, there's there's so many different ways to do it. You could vape, you could take a tincture, you could smoke it, you could take an edible, you could put a topical on. There are different strains. There are different terpenes or different compounds. So when you coach your clients, how do you tell them to proceed in a way that really is most beneficial to them? Yeah. And I mean, it's a hard one too, because, you know, it's, the rules are different um, concerning uh, cannabis and CBD products in each and every country, state, and city. And so, you know, and there's also different dispensaries, um, you know, and they carry different products. So you might have a product that might be really helpful for a client, um, especially considering their, their specific condition or their medical history or what other medications are on, and it's just not accessible in their state. Um, you know, like, for example, I live in California, and so there's products that are in San Francisco that aren't available in Los Angeles because it's not quite legal to be, like, shipping products through the mail or, like, normally, like, how normal other companies are able to just, you know, ship products all over the world. You can't even cross state lines. And sometimes it's really difficult to get things, you know, between one side of the state and the other. So for me, it's really all about like knowing where they are, um, knowing what types of needs they have, right? Do you want to get high? Do you not want to get high? Um, do you work? Do you not work? Um, you know, uh, what kind of medical condition you are like, what's the severity of your pain? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that come into recommending a patient, or a client, um, the, the right treatment protocol. And I want to say is that there's no, like, there's no app out there. There's no coach that's probably going to get it right on the first time. It takes time to adjust to a dose of medicine. It takes time to figure out what other's right for you. And the best kind of coaches are going to work with you and not just say, have a first phone call or first meeting and say, this is what you need. Okay. It's perfect. Bye. 
you know, cannabis is a journey and it's personalized medicine and it's going to take a little bit of a trial and error and just working to correct that dosage, just like it is for any other disease. If you go and see a psychiatrist and you're like, I'm depressed, they might have you on like 15 different drugs before they figure out what's the right one to put you on. So hopefully we do a little better with cannabis, but, um, you know, there's still no magic bullet. I cannot tell somebody, hey, I could have five people with exactly the same disease and they may end up on com- five completely different treatments. Right. It might depend on their genetics or their environment mm-hmm. or all sorts of factors. Your book is called Vitamin Weed, and it's got a lot of great information on different medicines, different molecules, and how they affect us. If you break that down, uh, and I think you do in the book, uh, into your four-step process, are you recommending that possibly we once you do your homework, you find a way to take a little bit of cannabis every day, whether it's CBD or THC, as you say, as sort of a preventative measure against some of the things we talked about, cancer, dementia, inflammation, which kind of is the basis of a lot of diseases. Is it a practical thing to think of cannabis as a daily preventative vitamin? You know, um, that's absolutely the message I was trying to get across, Um, especially, you know, when we're talking about the stigma associated with cannabis. And when you're living in a legal state like Colorado or California, it's sometimes uh, easy to take for granted that like cannabis is everywhere. If you go to a state like Kansas, for example, telling people that cannabis is a vitamin you should take every day, like will provide for some comical and shocking faces, you know? Um, But, uh, you know, I think we're also at a time where, um, where we also need to be wary of thinking about cannabis or CBD as a pharmaceutical, because we know that pharmaceuticals, even though they're approved by the FDA are not necessarily safe because there's been lots of recalls on drugs after people have died or something's gone wrong. Um, or we've had, you know, people not being able to afford drugs because the price is too high and they don't have health insurance. Um, and one of my real, real passions, um, and in my work and my advocacy work for patients is making sure that cannabis is safe, uh, that it's effective and, um, and that it's accessible and affordable to all patients and, one of my fears is that when we start thinking about CBD, for example, as a pharmaceutical, um, which, again, is going to happen more and more um, because Epidiolex, uh, which is a drug um, for epilepsy, it's a, just CBD. I mean, it, it's a CBD drug uh, created by GW. And while it got FDA approval um, for epilepsy, I think that there more and more people are going to see it like a pharmaceutical, like a doctor should be prescribing. And then for epilepsy, I think it should be um it should be, you know, actually prescribed by a doctor because the amount of CBD you need to treat epilepsy and other really serious conditions like schizophrenia is very high. Like we're talking like 200, 300 milligram range, whereas most people are taking CBD at like five to 20 milligrams a day, if that. Um, the, the dose for wellness is a vitamin dose. And the clearest way to differentiate between a vitamin dose of something and a, and a pharmaceutical or uh dose of something. I mean, you look at vitamin D, vitamin D is sold over the counter. I, you know, you can just go buy, buy, um, you know, a big bottle and it has thousands of pills that are like 1000 IU, right? A prescription dose of vitamin D is like 15,000 IU per pill. Like technically you could get the same dose over OTC. You would just have to take a lot more of it. So I think that it's really important that we make sure that in this country, uh, we keep and we still have over-the-counter hemp and CBD products available, but we also have the prescription um, quality, um, you know, medications that are available for very, very sick um, patients um, that can't 
you know, afford to have adulterants or need to have like quality ingredients that are covered by insurance. Um, but there definitely has to be the same. So for me, I think that cannabis and CBD is a vitamin. I think it really helps us protect us against um, both the uh, physical stressors in life that we don't know about, like inflammation and cancer. We're all growing cancer within us. It just takes like 10 years for it to be detected, you know. Um, we're also, we're, we're always having inflammation. The air we breathe is polluted. So we're getting inflammation from there. Um, you know, we turn on lights while we're sleeping, you know, that's causes inflammation while we're sleeping. Like we, we do all sorts of things like the natural way that we're living right now is completely unnatural. Um, so for us really, I think that it's a, it's cannabis or CBD is like a helmet that we put on, right? You put on a helmet before you play football because you know, you're going to get whacked in the hat. So, you know, for us to go along our daily lives and knowing we're not sleeping right, we're not eating right, we're, we have road rage, like everything is just like, everything is out of whack for us as humans. And to not put on that helmet, like before we go out the door, like that's just crazy. So I really would hope that people, um, you know, if you had to choose, okay, like what's the one thing that's going to go in my medicine cabinet? Like, what should I choose? Pick the most powerful antioxidant and neuroprotective, which is CBD. Mm -hmm. That's a great metaphor. I like the helmet idea. Now, you, how much do you take a day? And, and you have health challenges, right? Yeah. Um, so what I use actually varies. Um, and it's because I actually take a lot of different products to test them out. Um, again, because I have clients um, and coach other coaches, um, not only here in the state, um, but across the world, uh, I have to try a lot of products because not all products can, again, cross state lines. So you have to see, does this work? Does this work? Because if I take it and it doesn't work and it doesn't work in like 20 of you know, uh, my, my close circle, then we know these products don't work. And I have to be very clear, not all products on the market work, which is, it's really, you have to really know what you're buying, trust what you're buying. Um, and just don't believe everything you see on the internet. There are products out there that like have zero CBD in them. Like, like literally will say this has CBD has nothing in it. And there's even a less like the FDA or uh, has a list of like products that have been known to have zero CBD in them. So that those are the ones that got in trouble, like not because they had CBD in them, but because they didn't have CBD in them. Um, there's like bunk products. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably important to look for lab results, I would think. Well, it's, it's hard because um, it's easy to, I guess, um, one thing I've heard from some manufacturers is that they don't pass their lab results because it's easy to just have another company take that lab result and like doctor it up or like Photoshop it with like their name on it and like put out the same lab result. Like that's apparently happened. So um, what what's important, I guess, is if you have a brand and you ask them for lab results internal, like you email them, that they would be able to provide that. But ne not necessarily having them posted on the website, like that's not important because again, there's like, doctor stuff out there it's it's a really weird thing again it's like you want regulations on 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 this industry right because if you look at you know pharmaceuticals you know are meeting a certain quality right um but if you look at otc supplements like a fish oil supplement right like most supplements in the market don't provide any actual testing information about what's in there and i know this because i worked as a chief scientist um at a nutrition like a, a marketing company that sold nutraceuticals around the world so i used to formulate nutraceuticals before i came into cannabis and we would actually um find brands that had we put them through third-party testing and they're like yeah there's none of the active ingredients here this is actually colored flour you're selling 80 dollars a pop of colored flour 
like it's supposed to have like 30 ingredients and it's actually got nothing and like if anyone thinks they're losing weight or they're doing this or that it's all placebo effect um so you know there's nothing on the market that like the only time a company gets in trouble is when they're found out to either have an ingredient that's not on the label that shouldn't be there like they're putting in a pharmaceutical when it's a nutraceutical and it's not supposed to be in there right um, or they're, they're, they actually have no ingredients that are listed on the label. Um, so it's really hard. Like we want regulations. We want to see CBD and cannabis companies have all this information. And yet the regular OTC dietary supplement market isn't even held up to those standards. You can literally get fish oil right now today that has mercury and other toxins in it. And it won't be, it didn't go through testing or they could say it went through testing, but they, they oh, it failed the testing, but we still put it on the market. So, um, you know, that's, sort of the gamble you take when you work with dietary supplements it's really important to you know maybe pay the extra money to work with a brand that you trust but also the most expensive supplements in the market are not necessarily the safest either so because i know some of the companies that were charging a lot but they were the ones that actually were selling the bug products so it's just all about does it work um is it effective um and you know and and again have they been in in, in business for a long time with the cbd world it's hard because a lot of these companies haven't been around long because the field is really new um but there there are just there's some companies that i work with um because i know um that they do work and actually one of my things um that i'm going to be doing so the biggest question i always get people ask me like what do you take um you know what do you use and i've been sort of hesitant to tell people about that because i don't want to really like, be like seen like promoting anything especially when i was working with a nonprofit. but um you know now that i'm cl coaching clients it's it's a little bit different i can share about what i use and so my website drmichelleross.com is um, I just put out some things there that I use right now. I'm going to be listing a lot more of the stuff that I use. It just takes the time to to load the website with with all the stuff. Um, you know, I am actually a really sick patient, and so you know what works for me might not work for you. I got to say that. Um, you know, that caveat. We're all very different. We have different genetics, different you know medical histories, different you know medications we were on or we have been on. But I do want to share some of um, the Kratom and CBD brands um, that I do use and do know work um, that are available in all 50 states. Um, so there's no issue with shipping them across the country. Um, and, you know, some of the other supplements I take, because I want to share this, like, people think that cannabis or CBD is like, okay, like, you just take that and everything's good. Like, you still have some other issues. Um, for example, I just want to point this out, because I think like no one actually knows this. And it's sort of funny. Um, if you smoke cannabis, uh, you actually get a nutritional deficiency in your lungs, because you're burning um, you know, plant matter and that produces ammonia and other toxins, which is again, why I always, um, you know, tell people to vape or, you know, use a water filter or something. Don't just smoke joints. Um, it's not the healthiest, but your lungs actually become deficient in glutathione, which is an antioxidant that's really important. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to cause lung issues, um, or other body issues by having a nutritional deficiency. So if you do smoke, uh, joints, um, or, you know, use pipes or things like that. If you smoke cannabis, um, you want to take a supplement that increases glutathione. Um, so whether that's NAC, that's actually one I take, um, even though I don't smoke, um, 
it's just really good for it. And it's another antioxidant, but most cannabis smokers are uh, deficient in glutathione. And you're delving into the chemistry, which is your specialty, and that's where it's all happening. There's one in particular compound that I'd like our listeners to understand, and that's anandamide. Is, am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. The bliss molecule. <laughs> the bliss molecule. That's why it's so important. So what what's going on with anandamide? Okay. So anandamide is the natural marijuana-like compound that your body and brain produces. And so um, the easiest way to describe anandamide, so it's an endocannabinoid, which endo means inside. So it's cannabinoid made inside your body. By the way, THC and CBD are phytocannabinoids. They're made in the plant, aka phyto. Um, so anandamide is an endocannabinoid. So what does an endocannabinoid do? Well, it's a neurotransmitter. And so it what it actually is, it's like a key that fits into a lock, and your cannabinoid receptors are those locks. Um, and there's multiple cannabinoid receptors, right? There's a CB1 receptor, CB2 receptor. There's you know a whole bunch of other random new receptors that are being discovered every day. Some of them fit uh, anandamide. Some of them fit other substances that are produced in our brain. But anandamide is really important. So it's always being produced by your brain. Um, so it's a little bit different than some of the other uh, neurotransmitters, like for example, like serotonin. It'll only be like spit out at a certain time, like when, it, or like the other ones will be like pumped out and the, they'll signal between the, the two brain cells, like okay, you need to move or you need to go eat or you need to go do this and that. Anandamide's like always on, so it's always just like like sort of like sprinkled around and it's just always there. And so that's why when there's a deficiency, like you actually have uh, an imbalance in um, some of those other neurotransmitters being released. Um, so it's really important to have anandamide on board at a certain present level um, and, and to not actually have too much or too little. I want to state that too, because some people think they're like, okay, more, more is always better, you know? And there are some issues we actually see with people taking say like too much cannabis or something because people, for example, that dab like 10 to 15 times a day, they actually don't make enough anandamide. They start making it. Um, and I just want to point that out as sort of, People don't know that, like, and it's really important because it's it's similar to somebody taking like morphine or oxycodone or like other pain pills. They stop making endorphins, which are their natural opioids. So in the same way, if you take too much cannabis, you can actually stop making your own natural endocannabinoids like anandamide. So it's really important to have that perfect level of anandamide. And and what that anandamide does, so after it hits those cannabinoid receptors, it does a lot of different things. I mean, um, it can re reduce pain. It can, you know, reduce inflammation. Uh, it can make you hungry, depending on where those receptors are all over your brain. Like some of them are in areas that control appetite. Some are in learning areas. Some are in movement. The one area that you won't find any cannabinoid receptors in, um, and this is really, really important, is in uh, your brainstem, which controls your breathing. And this is why you can't die from cannabis. You can't die, you know, from obviously your own natural production of anandamide that would be really bad um but you know you don't have uh, you don't have those cannabinoid receptors there so you can't actually um you know stop breathing so which is how, how you die with opioid overdose so it's anandamide's amazing um you know we're we're so blessed to have this you know molecule that makes us feel good and you know you don't Anything that makes you feel good and is not addictive, you want more of in your life. And the beautiful thing is CBD. That's the the major way CBD works is not actually by binding to your cannabinoid receptors. It's actually by increasing levels of anandamide, which then go bind to your receptors. 
Okay. Wow. That that's good to know. So it's it's almost like you mentioned endorphins in there. So like the runner's high, you you run and you feel this euphoria. Anandamide might be akin to that. Yeah, you know, the runner's high is actually endorphins and anandamide, and I think a, a, a little teeny bit of dopamine. But, uh, you know, they never used to think that anandamide was even part of it. And so, you know, oh, it's actually really interesting because I have a lot of friends that are in the fitness field. And I, I actually did, you know, my first, very first book was actually on weight loss and fitness um, and the neuroscience behind it. And so for runner's high, it's actually interesting. If you consume cannabis or you consume CBD before running, you have elevated levels of either anandamide or stimulations of the cannabinoid receptors, and you'll feel less pain. You know, um, you'll be able to lift like more weights. If you do weightlifting, you'll be able to run longer. You'll have more endurance. Um, it's something actually that professional athletes love to use and also people that are, you know, just trying to lose weight. I've actually had amazing stories um, from patients that are like, yeah, I lost, you know, 50, 100 pounds, like by using cannabis before I go work out, or I use a topical lotion that contains cannabis and I rub it on my legs and my arms, you know, when I've either lifted too much weights or I'm sore because I'm running for the first time in a long time. Um, for me, you know, I have fibromyalgia, it's pretty painful. And, you know, it's, it's a disease that's harder to work out with. And, you know, if I consume, you know, say a recreational amount of cannabis, I'm actually able to go work out and not worry about like, Oh, I feel horrible. Oh, I can't, I can't do this walk. It's too long. Like I can actually go do it, enjoy it, and then take a topical, you know, afterwards and recover and, you know, still be motivated to go out the next day and go exercise some more because I'm not in so much pain that I have to stop for a week or, you know, and I think that's really important definitely um, to, you know, the baby boomer population because, you know, as you age, it's really important for you to stay active. And a lot of people don't, you know, oh, you know, aches and pains, I've got arthritis, like, like I can barely walk, you know, like I'm not going to go do it. And I'm seeing more and more people become active now um, because they're incorporating cannabis in whatever way is, is right for them, but they're incorporating it and they're actually getting outside and moving um, or maybe doing a little bit of yoga inside their home. You know, uh, it's, it's pretty cool how you can incorporate cannabis. And again, it's all because cannabis is helping increasing those anandamide levels and, you know, making you feel blissed out instead of stressed out or aching. That's a really good point, and I'm so glad you brought all that up because our audience, I think I maybe mentioned earlier, you know, arthritis, wanting to keep things like Alzheimer's at bay, those all enter into it when you're 45, 50 and older. And here's a substance that so many times in this conversation, you've mentioned things that 10 or 15 years ago, you really couldn't have said that it was it, it's a good thing for athletes to take, even professional athletes, or like you mentioned, people in Kansas. So as our science unfolds and we, we understand more and more about this plant that we've been using for tens of thousands of years, it just gets more and more incredible and more kind of fundamental that you try to work it into your regime. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, um, you know, having been part of this industry, like, obviously, I wasn't there in like the 60s. <laughs> it was way before I was even born. Um, but you know, I, I am one of the leaders in this industry. And until, you know, when I started writing articles about cannabis online, there were literally, like, no articles. Like, for example, I wrote the first articles on the internet about cannabis and endometriosis, cannabis and Lyme's disease, cannabis like an Alzheimer's, I think. And it's just funny, like, now you see, if you Google search, there's so many articles on things. But 
you know, even five to six years ago, there was nothing. Like you literally would post like, is it okay to smoke weed if I have Alzheimer's? And you'd be like, you would, somebody would post that on a forum and you'd have like no answers. Like that's how limited the knowledge was about cannabis and its appropriate applications and the science behind it. But in the last like five to seven years, the field has exploded. There's research going on in Australia and Canada not so much in the United States because it's still very legal and almost impossible to do. Really, the only real clinical study with smoked cannabis in this country is with veterans with PTSD with Sue Sicily, who, um, God bless her for trying to get that study off for uh, seven whole years. That's a lot of tenacity. Um, but think about it, seven years. Like it, take, it takes a long time to get this information going. So I've been so proud to be at the forefront of this and to be able to say like comfortably, like, hey, you should do these things. Like a lot of things I used to say used to be super controversial. You'd be like, you want grandma to use cannabis in her nursing home? <laughs> like, yes. Right. I, that I, used to be just a crazy thing to suggest. Yeah. But there's actually people that are working on right now um, doing like say infused meals Um at things like nursing homes because again it just like if you're you can eat one if you're hungry a lot of medications make you know patients not hungry and it also makes them relax and chill instead of being agitated especially like if you're a patient that doesn't has memory issues it can be really hard and i know this because i used to volunteer um at a nursing home and it was really hard working with patients that would suddenly forget where they are or who who they were talking to and get like, you know, violent. And that's one of the things that cannabis is great for. Not only does it help people become like relaxed, it even improves some of their memory. Like you see some families where they're like, Oh, my son actually, or sorry, my dad actually remembers me now when I come like, that's amazing. Or some of them start dancing. Like you see these amazing changes happen to people. Um, and I think that Cannabis can actually be the gateway to a better life, especially in your older years. As a leader in this movement and having seen what you've seen, what do you think needs to happen? I mean, there, there's things happening at the state levels. Um, the current administration with Jeff Sessions, who thinks only bad people use cannabis, making it legal nationally might not work unless the president does that just to mess with Jeff Sessions. But where do you see us in, say, five to 10 years in terms of um, acceptance? You know, I think I heard that only about 15% of medical schools even refer to the endocannabinoid system, and they don't spend a lot of time on it. When those changes begin to happen, when, when do you think they will? And, and what sort of landscape will we see for cannabis in, in our daily lives? You know, um, that's an interesting question because it can go so many ways. Um, you know, there and you can see this even by the bills that people are trying to push. So some people think that only CBD should be illegal and that marijuana should stay on the schedule no, no matter what. And there's other people that think that it should be off the schedule completely and available freely, just like alcohol and cigarettes, all right? And if you want to use it medically, like that's your deal, right? Um, just like, you know, you can use dietary supplements as medicine if you'd like, but it's, it's usually discouraged by MDs. Um, they'd rather, you, you know, you come for your surgeries and your chemo and your prescriptions, right? Um, but then there's other groups of people that think it should be de um, rescheduled. And this is a tricky one, right? Because um, so, we talk about the problems with it being schedule one. So a schedule one drug, um, cannabis is on the same schedule with heroin, right? There's no medical use. A doctor can't prescribe it without being accused of malpractice. Like it's a big problem. Um, and if it was moved to schedule two where cocaine and other drugs are, um, some other other drugs are, 
I mean, no one, your doctor's not going to prescribe you cocaine, right? Like they're also not really going to want to prescribe you cannabis. And it's also going to, it, it makes it more of a meta, like a very pharmaceutical fashion, which is not how the dispensary system is set up or anything. But we're seeing some, like, I'm, I'm confused about how, which way the United States is going to go federally, because I've been to some states where it is straight up like a pharmaceutical. So if you, I was just in Minnesota and instead of bud tenders, they have like pretty much they have pharmacists. So and when you get your medical card, you have to go visit a pharmacist who then tells you exactly how you're, you have to take the medicine. Like you're like prescribed, like here, you can only take, you know, half a gram this many times, you know, a, a week and, you know, and you have to come back and you're cut off at, after this amount, like you can't buy anymore. Um, so to that, to me, sounds much more like a, like a medical model, like a schedule three model for cannabis. Um, so I don't know whether our country is going to just take it off completely or whether they're going to make it like con completely controlled by doctors. There's some movements. And I would say because, I mean, when we look at pharmaceutical companies lobbying, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think that some of the major pharmaceutical companies might just acquire some of the biggest cannabis companies in the United States and just make it a pharmaceutical I mean, that might happen and because that's our country loves pharmaceuticals. I mean, we consume 90 percent of the world's opioids like we're all about pharmaceuticals. Um, we're not so much about natural medicines. We're not about freedom either. Like we're definitely not about freedom, even though that's what our country is supposed to be about. Um, and so, you know, the ideal I would want I would love to see it like. Canada, which, by the way, is going to be the, one of the best markets, because not only can they study the cannabis, they can research it. Um, it's federally legal for both medical and uh, for recreational use, aka everyone can get access to it. Um, and they're also exporting it to other countries. So the other countries that need cannabis that are cultivating it in their country, they can export to all these other countries and make lots of money. Like literally Canada has surpassed us in every way. Um, and all of our good, like scientists and stuff are moving to Canada, by the way, I'm not because I'm crazy, but apparently I should be in Canada right now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, California's a lot warmer than, than Toronto, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that it is crazy. I mean, it's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And other, other countries are going to Canada. They're going to develop the expertise and, you know, all the tariffs and all that stuff don't, don't help us much when there's this budding industry that makes so much sense and we're just letting them take it yeah. and run with it. I mean, um, I do have research partners in Canada and Australia and Israel. And it's just funny. Like one of them was like, Hey, when are you going to start these studies? And it's just funny. Like Thomas Jefferson university um, on the East coast started a CBD research, you know, program with um, some funding from like a, again, like the Lamberts, which are these huge philanthropists, um, uh, because their, their child had, uh, epilepsy and was treated with CBD over in Australia. And they, so they started research centers, um, in different places on um, one being that university. And the only research they're doing is CBD. And because our country makes it so hard to do actual THC research, you know, we can't do THC cancer research in the United States. You're like, literally it's legal. And I know this because I sat on like on the boards trying to pass cannabis research laws, like, Literally, you can, I could go buy cannabis, like I could literally do whatever I want with it. I could like inject it into a breast cancer tumor of, of myself, like that would be illegal. But like for me to study it in any manner, like with patients, it would be completely illegal. Um, so it's so frustrating because you're like, this patient took RSO and their tumor's gone. This patient did this. And, but you can't actually do it as a clinical study because it's illegal because it's a schedule one drug. So it's so frustrating in the state, this country. So, um, you know, I'm 
hopefully I'm some of the questions that I still have, I'm, I'm hopefully working with uh, partners in other countries. Like I'm flying out to Israel uh, in October. Um, I'm going to start working uh, with some partners out there to make uh, women's health products that were completely illegal to even study here. By the way, in Colorado, this one of the reasons why I moved from Colorado, I was so upset. Like they banned vaginal suppositories and rectal suppositories um, all, all of a sudden out of the blue. Like one day they woke up and they're like, they're not safe. And they're like, there's been no clinical trials showing that people should be putting weed up their, you know, uh, other orses besides their mouth. Um, and then they're like, but no one has anyone reported any like deaths or overdoses or like adverse effects with this. Like, no, it's been legal for like three years in the state, like, and no one's had any problems with it. And people have been using, you know, suppositories with other herbs for years. And they just were like, not safe. We're going to ban it. And so there's a clinical study out and three years later, we'll find out the results. And you're like, while we're waiting, all the patients that were using that for cancer and for women's health disorders are now not going to be able to have that product. You're like, and again, it's not like any other medical medicine on the market. Like literally you have to wait until like people would die of heart attacks for like in a pharmaceutical drug to be taken off the shelves here. We had no zero, we had zero issues and they're like, we're going to take it off because we just don't want it, you know? So, I mean, that's the field I work in. You're like, literally like I was setting up a, a research study and they were like, nope, sorry, we're just going to ban it off the market. No one can use this anymore. You're like, but it didn't do anything to anyone. Like it was actually amazing. I use those products. Like that's how I deal with my disease. I'm like, why would you do something that like take something off that's been helping people? Like, I don't, I don't understand how these things are working at all. Yeah. There's still the undertow of decades of prohibition and, you know, really government sponsored propaganda about the devil's weed and all that, that, you know, we think we're past it, but it's, it's still going to affect us for a long time, I think. Oh, so the stigma, yeah, the stigma from, I think the medical experts, I mean, I have actually, uh, I want to state this because, you know, people just think there's stigma against users as a cannabis using um, expert. Right. And again, I'm not smoking weed during the day or anything like that. Like literally I use it in like microdoses in order to control disabling pain and spasms, not to get high during the day. Like that's not my purpose, but I have other scientists and doctors are like, she's not a real scientist. Don't listen to her. She does drugs. Like those are the kind of things. And I'm not the only one. You get other scientists that don't believe in cannabis on the same panels as you. And they're like, don't listen to like the, the fucking stoner <laughs> scientists. I'm sorry for that for there. But like, it's been like heated and bad. And you're like, I'm not a stoner. Like if you see me, I'm, there's nothing about, me that's stoner michelle like there i am a very hardworking, and very educated scientist so i also have an mba too like i'm overeducated. <laughs> yeah you're a neuroscientist with credentials and some politician somewhere is going to decide he doesn't like suppositories because he got hair up his ass and you know that's just <laughs> unfortunate i mean as a scientist you also have to get into the politics of it and as you are being an activist and helping promote the just the common sense that we now know that's a huge challenge um as as you well know um i guess i want to ask from your perspective what is the most important thing for a baby boomer or really anybody who's interested in this to to do if they want to check out if cannabis is right for them, for their medical needs? Okay. Um, so that's a great question. Um, so, you know, the one thing you need to do really is to just try it. Um, and, you know, first you need to know what your laws are in your state, right? So if, if 
if marijuana is not legal in your state, I strongly suggest you don't use it because jail time is never healthy, especially when you're older um, or if you're a sick patient. Um, so definitely make sure you're in a legal state. Um, and secondly, um, you know, um, don't necessarily try it for the first time by like, say, using again, like a, a joint that your friend has passed around or something like that. Um, you really want to look for a product that that works for you. So you want to look for something. Um, again, if you, you're not trying to get high, you want to probably start with a CBD product or a low dose THC product. I actually prefer um, people start off with um, a low dose like CBD and THC product. And what that is, is like you, you actually hear like a one to one uh, ratio product. And what that means is that there's an equal amount of CBD and THC in it. So if you want to go for something that say maybe has like 2.5 milligrams CBD in it, 2.5 milligrams THC in it, um, what that does, the CBD actually sort of counteracts the THC and makes um, any high in there like like minimal. Um, but again, you're using so much, so little THC in there anyways, it really wouldn't be a psychoactive dose. But that way it, it's most effective at reducing pain, inflammation, um, helping you get to sleep later on in the day. Um, so something like that, something that's like that microdose um, stage. And, you know, whether it's a candy, whether it's, um, there's things called like some lingual tabs where you just like put it underneath your tongue, sort of like a B12 uh, supplement and let it dissolve. Um, something like that is really easy to work with um, when you're a first timer, because again, you're not going to get high, so you don't have to worry. But you want to make sure that if it's your first time using any kind of cannabis products, probably don't take it and then like go to work or go to, you know, go out, like make sure it's like at home. So you just know in case you're one of those people that's super sensitive to it. Cause you know, I hate to say this, but like, there's always that one person who like, like this is the lowest dose. There's no possible way you get high. And there's always that one person in a hundred that will somehow either actually be high or think that they're high. So, right, you know, right. you want to, anytime you're taking something new, you want to just make sure that, you know, you're, you want to f- understand how you feel. And so, journaling too like when you're starting to use products is really important especially if you're going to start smoking things or taking different doses or trying out things like i'm going to try out this candy bar um it's great to have a journal and there's some um journals that they sell online like strain trackers and things like that where you can say like hi what did i take how did i use it okay i like did i take two candies did i take half a candy and it's okay by the way to break candies or other things into halves like it's completely safe. And especially if you need a lower dose of something, like if something comes as a 10 milligram dose, it's okay to break it into quarters. You know, um, sometimes people don't know that. I'm like, it's completely okay. But like, you know, write down what you're doing and how it's making you feel um, and where you bought it from too, because the strain or the product that you're buying, the brand name is really important. Is it Incredibles? Is it Kiva? Is it, you know, like whatever it is that you're buying, what is it? Because the same um, you know, same type of product, a chocolate bar with THC in it is different, you know, from brand to brand. And then, you know, a strain, you know, um, say a blue dream strain, um, these strains have all these crazy names, right? They're different, uh, from each dispensary or each grower. They're not all the same, you know, they're not complete, like genetic, you know, um, a hundred percent the same, um, even though they might have the same name because it's sort of a weak classification system. Like people grow these plants differently and all over the world. So you really want to say like, yeah, what you're getting and like how it's making you feel so that if you find something, you're like, I love this. Like, you know how to replicate that feeling. 
there's no Merck manual of, of cannabis. So you're saying take it slow, use small doses and pay attention. And, you know, that's all good advice, I think, for anybody who wants to pay attention to their health. You know, if you're a patient, uh, you're going to be a little more involved in a little more responsible for your own state just by paying attention to yourself. Yeah. And I think it's really good too to know like timing of things and also like what your status was before you're taking it. So there's some apps even like I worked with a company um, called strain print up in Canada. They were great um, for the Canadian strains is a harder work with with the U S market, but um, you were able to actually say, okay, like find your symptoms and you're like, okay, I have really bad back pain. Okay. So like, what's my number of back pain? Am I like at a, like a zero or at a 10? Like how bad it's my back pain? Okay, cool. Then, then you would put in like, or write down in your journal. Okay. What am I going to take now? Okay. So my back pain's at a 10, I'm going to take this product. And then an hour later, how do I feel? And so you can know, like, how does this product work in different scenarios? Because sometimes a product that might not get you high at all, especially if you're like level 10 pain, what it's going to do is reduce your pain. It's, you're not going to feel high. You're going to just feel less pain. But on a day where you have no pain, you might actually feel high from that product. So like it, the context of it is always very important. Or did you, how did you feel taking this product inside by yourself, watching a movie versus going out like in public at a concert or going like meeting, like at a business meeting, you've never met people. Like there's all different contexts and cannabis is very context dependent. So it's not like alcohol where like you sort of have the same experience with alcohol, no matter what, if you're going to drink this beer, it's going to do the same exact thing to you, no matter where you are, what you're doing at the time. Like, you're not like, I was really depressed. And then I drank this beer and it got weird. Like, it's like, it's not really like that. Cannabis is very interesting because it can amplify, you know, both your emotional state, your spiritual state, sometimes your physical state too. Like there's some people that will actually have pain and they pick the wrong strain and it's got like the wrong chemical mix or something for them. And they were like, Oh my God, my back pain got worse. I like, I was more aware of my back pain. How did that happen? And you're like, there you go. It may, sometimes there's certain strains that are actually helping me more aware and in tune. And it's like in tune with your partner in tune with the concert. You're like, watching or in tune with the artwork you're doing and that's like really important but like if you're a pain patient you don't want to use the product that is making you like super aware of your body and how much it hurts like so you know there's always the right product for you um and i would say like you know if you're a newbie and you're just trying out um some things and um you know and you're still having trouble finding products and this is hard because cannabis isn't covered by health insurance and can be expensive and you can't really make returns you can't be like I didn't really like this marijuana. I, can, I would like another one, please exchange. Like that's not legal. So it's unfortunate. It's like cracking open a bottle of alcohol. If you don't like that wine, you're sort of stuck with it. Um, and while some company, like some states are allowing sort of tasting type things or samples, like many states aren't. So, you know, what you want to do is, um, you know, if you don't want to spend a lot of money on products and you need help, uh, understanding what kind of products are right for you or what to take because it's confusing as heck. I mean, like you really, you really should be playing doctor by yourself, especially if you have a severe medical condition, if you need help, um, there are, um, you know, obviously coaches and other professionals like myself that can help you along and hopefully help you spend a lot less money on products doing like trial by error because it's, it's not easy. I mean, as somebody with like, I have like like seriously, like 10 different chronic illnesses. I've escaped death like literally like four times. I'm really, really lucky to be alive. And, you know, for me, it took me a while to find like that magic, you know, little, um, 
I would say like protocol for me. And I think that there's a protocol for each and every one of you, um, especially if you have multiple illnesses, um, you know, and it's not going to be the same as your best friend or anyone, you know, it's, it's going to be unique to you. And it's, it may take some time to find that perfect protocol. Yeah, it's a complicated landscape and it's going to take some due diligence. So for my last question, I want to read a little bit from your mission statement and uh, and ask how we can support you. So this is from the Infused Health mission statement. Uh, Infused Health is organized as a public benefit corporation and part of our mission is to provide services and products to those who need them but cannot afford them. We work with cannabis and CBD product makers to provide free or highly discounted medicine. We aim to provide free cannabis health coaching to those in need, such as veterans, late-stage cancer patients, and patients with severe opioid addiction in partnership with nonprofits. How can this audience help support you in that work? Sure. Um, so Infused Health is actually um, not set up like a nonprofit like my last company. Um, so oh, the way that uh, we work, we're actually a public benefit corporation. So what that means, it's a corporation um, that has a mission to give back. Um, and our mission, obviously, is to um, provide services to those who, who need it most. And so our model... Um, Right now, so we're launching um, self-guided courses and coach-assisted courses. And so what we're doing um, with that model is um, for uh, a percentage of the profits of those courses actually go and fund free courses uh, for veterans and other people that are in need. So, again, we're, we've been working on the, these courses um, and some of our programs for a long time. So that's the best way, you know, if you need help um, in uh, our first course is actually launching is on fibromyalgia. We have another one on cannabis and motherhood, um, another one on pelvic pain, and then we'll be rolling out other ones, including cannabis for Alzheimer's, cannabis for Parkinson's. Um, that'll be later next year. So, um, you know, the best way to do that is to either, um, you know, join a course yourself um, and be educated and work uh, through our self-guided program to actually optimize your treatment and, you know, just sort of like the Tom's model where, you know, you buy one and it gives one back uh, to somebody who needs it. That's cool. That's really great. I think we've covered most of uh, my questions. Is there is there anything you want to leave us with? Um, no. Uh, if you want to sort of uh, learn the Merck Manual of Cannabis, unfortunately, I couldn't put everything into that vitamin weed book, um, but it does cover a lot and hopefully uh, breaks down sort of all the myths about cannabis. Um, and I love that book uh, just because it's something you can give to your doctor, especially if your doctor doesn't understand what an endocannabinoid system is or why you're even thinking about cannabis. Please be honest with your healthcare professionals you're thinking about using cannabis because it is important especially if you're on other medications you might have a drug interaction so always be honest with your doctor um, and read as much as you can and if you have questions uh, reach out to professionals like myself to get some help so just thank you so much for uh, for letting me talk a little bit on your podcast well thank you we appreciate your expertise and people can find vitamin weed at amazon.com yes um, or there's links to it on my website which is uh, d-r-m-i-c-h-e-l-e-r-o-s-s.com fantastic thank you so much dr ross thank you You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com. And that's a wrap. Ta-da.